What's up, hybrids? Welcome back to another episode of the Phantom Hybrid Podcast. This is Hanako, and I'm here with Anthony, Lori, and Mike. And we are playing catch-up on some birthday episodes. (laughs) (laughs) So the idea was that whenever we had birthdays, the birthday person would get to choose their own movie, and we would talk about it. So we got through the first two for this year. We got through Mike's. We got through Lori's. And then all this really, really great stuff started coming out on TV and movies. And we've just been so busy with that that we just kind of let everything else fall to the wayside. So we are playing catch up now. And yay, it just so happens that my birthday episode is the next one up. So let's go boss lady. (laughs) Today, we are talking about one of my all time favorite films, a film that I feel is highly highly underrated and that is smoking aces smoking <laughs> i wonder which one of you guys was going to make that joke you, of course you, you had wondered to... no you literally wondered i mean really i'm insulted i have to do a disclaimer now Hanko, you know i love you Uh-oh. but I have no problem with the film. I thought it was a lovely film, but I will say this. I said it again. I said what I said, a la Nene Links. I don't like Alicia Keys. She can't sing. I don't think she's pretty, and she makes me mad. But other than that, great film. Lori. <laughs> yes, I'm that daddy. Come wow. on, Lori. Give her a break. She was that, she uh, that she bad can't in this. Sing. wasn't that bad in this movie. I don't know. Okay, that's not. That, no, that's, she wasn't that bad. <laughs> it's a given and a well-known fact that Alicia Keys can't sing. She could play the fuck out of a piano, but she... <laughs> I'm just going to respectfully disagree. I think she can sing, and I'm going to leave it at that. We are not here to do a musical review. We're here to talk about Smoking Aces, and we're going to talk about her performance in this film, which I thought was actually pretty damn decent. I, I will <laughs> give you, I, I actually will give that to you. She was one of the better actors in this movie. She surprised me. It was better than her performance than uh, her You Don't Know My Name video. You know what? Okay. You know what? So, Smoking Aces is a 2006. Look, y'all, y'all scared Anthony off the chat. Sir, <laughs> you knew it's Alicia Keys. You knew I was going to okay, go in. Go. So, Smoking Aces. All right. Smoking Aces is a 2006 film directed and written by Joe Carnahan. It has an amazing ensemble cast. I mean, you've got Ryan Reynolds, you've got Ray Liotta, you've got Jeremy Piven, you've got Ben Affleck, Common, uh, the aforementioned Alicia Keys, Andy Garcia, Taraji P. Henson. Uh, I mean, you've got some of everybody in this film. you got Chris Pine in here pre-Star Trek. Chris Pine, pretty much pre-anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, also, you've got the one of the main guys from Sons of Anarchy. Is yeah, Tommy movie. Flanagan. Yes, and and mm-hmm. the guy, and that one actor who always shows up and stuff, I forget his name, but he's been in a few X-Men movies. Uh, he played the lead Kevin person. Durant. Yes, Kevin Durant. Yes. I love when yeah, he shows awesome. up. Oh, he's yeah, awesome. Really I cool. fucking so love him. Yeah. When awesome. he shows up, you know it's going to be good. Okay, I know we're going to get into the, the Trimmer Brothers. Are the highlight of the movie. <laughs> they just are. They, Chris Pine is absolutely ridiculous. So is Kevin Durant. They are just so funny every time they're on screen. And we'll talk about it more, but they are hilarious. We'll get into it because. <laughs> so, 
Smoke and Aces is basically it's 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 a hit. It, it's a, a fast. I, I don't know what you want to call it. It's a hit movie. It's kind of like you know you always have your movies that have like a heist as the main plot. Well, this one is about a Las Vegas entertainer named Buddy Aces Israel, and he is. Um, He's very popular on the Las Vegas Strip, but he has also worked his way up through the ranks in one of the mob families and has basically tried to come in and do a takeover. And so now he's got like a whole bunch of people after him and the FBI is using him to try to bring this mob boss, uh, Primo Sparazza, down. And what they're doing is they're trying to get him to testify against Primo and they're putting him in witness protection. So Primo Sparazza, uh, well, one of his men who is also trying to come in and take over, puts the word out that, hey, we need a hit on Buddy Israel. And all of these different people from all of these different worlds, you've got all these different hitmen, assassins, you've got some Bells bondsmen. All of these people are trying to get to Buddy Israel, and the movie is just a huge, huge character movie. So much fun. You get to see people in roles and and doing things that you're just like, what? The aforementioned Chris Pine and Kevin Durant as the Trevor Brothers. I mean, it's just, it's one of my favorite movies, and I don't know why this movie isn't as talked about as it should be, but I remember when I pitched this to everyone way back last year when we first started talking about birthday episodes, everybody was like, oh, okay, I've seen that movie, but I don't remember it much or whatever. Anthony came into my office last week. He was like, oh, my God, I forgot how funny this movie was. He was like, I was dying. You can't do nothing but laugh the whole movie, pretty much. You, you, you were first laughing. time I ever saw it was last night. You're Never laughing the whole movie. Like, I see, I saw this movie, and every scene, I'm like, why do I not remember this? And my <laughs> Michelle and I are just, we are dying. This <laughs> is hilarious. I'm sorry. I'm telling you, this movie is gold. It's gold. But wait a minute, Lauren, you said last night was the first time you had ever watched it? Yes. Really? Wow. Never seen it before in my life. Well, it's not really really my genre. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I understand that because... I'm I'm more uh, Ocean's Eleven uh, casino type of a thing. I like heist movies, but they're not the top of my list. So I guess I had a little bit different reaction to the movie. Uh, My reaction was, oh, God, who actually wrote this? My God, (laughs) the amount of gore and blood. And really, they made this into a movie. But toward the end of it, especially the twist, I was like, okay. And I had to remember what time frame it came out in and all that stuff. So I don't love the movie, but it, it, it's, it's okay. And I do appreciate the acting, but it was, it was a little too much blood and gore. I can't believe that I, I did not remember the Trevor Brothers. I just can't. I don't understand why I don't remember them. I don't understand. Okay. The twist at the end is one of the top twists in movie history. Like, that's like, that's a, that's a, I was a hell, I mean, I, I kind of remembered it, but I didn't really remember it like it happened. And when he explained it, I was like, holy shit. Okay. I mean, that was like six inches, six cents-ish in, in scope. <laughs> like, like that, that that's really fast. hard to say. I'm sorry. And plus, like, the only drawback I had from this movie is 
Andy Garcia. And it's not a, it's not really a knock on him as a person. It's a knock on him having a stone face and not showing any emotions, like, period, in any movie that he's in. Like, we look at him, like, even in Godfather Part Three, even in The Untouchables, like, most movies he's in, he still has that one look on his face, like, just like, I'm angry. I'm happy. I'm angry again. I'm sad. <laughs> and his eyes stay the same. And I'm like, you are? Like, I... But, you know, it worked in this film. That's that stoic, you well, yeah, know. Well, because he had to be like that. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine, I mean, having to deliver that whole reveal, that plot twist at the end and doing it with such a straight face that it's just kind of like, okay, you know what? I know I'm blowing your mind right yeah. now, but this is it. This is the fact. This is what you need to do. You need to step in line. doesn't matter that you just saw, like, 50 million of your coworkers blown the smithereens, but this is what we're doing and this is what you need to do. So put on your big boy panties and And see your partner mentor dying in the pool of blood in the elevator. Right. So, yeah, it, yeah, that kind of works for him. I mean, that, that straight stoic face. And I think this is one of the, this is one of the few times that I can remember Ryan Reynolds being like, just completely, he wasn't dead. He wasn't Wade Wilson. Like he was. He was just like an actor. He was. He so wasn't serious. like Deadpool. Yeah. It's like I. I. I didn't like that. I was like, okay, you got to start cracking a joke or something. No, like, I mean, it talk, was cool. Can you talk right? It was cool because in the beginning of the movie, when they're doing the stakeout in front of Primo Sparaz's house, or you know, near his house, you know, he and Ray Liotta's character, uh, Agent Carruthers, they're sitting there and they're just kind of joking around, talking shit to each other. So that was cool. But, like, the seriousness of his character as the movie got further and further in, and especially, like, towards the end, it was just like, whoa, this is not, you know, of course, this is why I think when I first started seeing him in Deadpool, when I saw him in Deadpool, I was like, wait, because always in my mind, no matter what I've seen him in, I always think of him in Smoking Aces. That's always, because I think, if I'm not mistaken, this might have been the first movie I ever saw him in that I remember him from. You know what I'm saying? So every time I see him in something else, this is the movie that I reference him in first. So, I, you know, yeah. it, it, it's cool. He was jokey at the beginning, but as things got a little more serious, I mean, you're talking about a movie with, assassins and hitmen all gunning for someone so it's gonna get a little bit serious so it works cool for his character but i mean he still kept it a little bit light when he needed to yeah all right so let's get started with smoking aces so the movie starts out and it gives us a little bit of background into what's going on so it talks about mob boss primo sparazza and the intro says the mafia or la cosa nostra has been slowly and systematically destroyed by the fbi mob boss primo sparazza represents the mafia's last vestige of power the fbi have targeted sparazza and are working to turn a key witness against him las vegas entertainer buddy aces israel so this is where we start off. They are immediately telling us what this story is about. And then it starts out with Ryan Reynolds and Ray Liotta's characters, agents Messner and Carruthers. They are doing a stakeout somewhere near Sparazza's compound. And what they're doing is they're trying to figure out what's going on with him. Again, as we said earlier, the FBI is trying to use Buddy Israel against Sparazza. 
And Sparazza, at this point, he's very old, he's very sick, he's bedridden, and he has ordered this hit on Buddy Israel. And some of his right-hand people are kind of going behind his back to say, hey, you know what? Since Primo has ordered this hit on Buddy Israel, maybe what we can do is order our own hit on Buddy Israel. We bring him in, use him as leverage to gain power, and then that'll put us in prime spot. Now, why these people are the right-hand men of a mob boss and they don't know that this is not what the fuck you want to do, I don't know, but this is the story and that's what we're going with. So... As they're doing this stakeout, they hear this phone conversation between Primo's secondhand, I think his name is Sperna, I I can never remember his name, and he's talking to another guy, Buzzy, and they're arranging this hit. And then they find out that this hit is going down, supposedly there's a Swede who is coming in from overseas to take over this assignment, and that he's being offered a million dollars. So the word starts to get out to different entities about coming in and undermining this hit. So we get to see the introduction of several of the key players. And it comes in different forms. You have Deputy Director Locke, who is Andy Garcia's character, explaining to Messner and Carruthers about who certain people in the industry are. You have him talking about the two female hit people who are Georgia and Sharice. That's uh, Alicia Keys and Taraji P. Henson's characters. You have another hitman called Laszlo Soot. You have the Tremor Brothers that they're talking about, which we've mentioned. And Anthony is smiling. Every time we mention the Tremor Brothers, you can't do nothing but smile because they are ridiculous. Can we talk about Laszlo for a second? Yes. Like, he first off, then we're introduced to him by this dreadlock guy going across the street and killing people. And then he grabs the back of a truck and pulls off his face. And all of a sudden, it's Tommy Flanagan. You're like, huh? Like, yo. Like, that was the funniest thing ever. That was the funniest video ever. Ever. Like, this guy, Mm -hmm. you never see him coming. He's a ghost. <laughs> yeah, because the way that they introduce him, they're talking about the different ways that all of these assassins work. So when they mention him, there's like this group of guys going across the street and there there's this one little guy in the middle. He's talking on the phone. And I guess he's supposed to be the big bad or the important person. And as they're walking across the street, his bodyguards are looking at everybody on the street, you know, kind of mean mugging. And there's this one guy coming across the street and he's looking at them and they're looking at him and he reaches in his pocket. They start reaching in their pocket and he pulls out a cell phone. So when they realize, oh, he's just got a cell phone and they start relaxing, you've got this black dreadlock dude coming across the street in a breast powered wheelchair. So it's like he's having to breathe into the wheelchair to power it across the street and as they're relaxing from the other guy, <laughs> that's when he gets up, he starts shooting them. And the really funny thing about this, I guess not really funny, it's really fucked up. But as he's sitting here killing this group of seven men in the middle of the street, everybody in New York is just looking around like, what is he doing? Oh, okay. And they're going about their business. I was like, wait, these dudes just got murdered in the street with machine guns and y'all are caring about your business? Really? See, that's what got me... <laughs> I was like, what the hell am I watching? (laughs) That was my first. But you know, that's what they say happens in New York. 
like, hey, none of my business. Hey, I got to go to work. Hey, forget about it. Hey, I got to go. Hey, I'm late. I'm late to work. Hey, somebody call 911. Mm. And then, okay, so we've got the two women. We've got Georgia and Sharice, and they are handled by a, I, I don't know, what, what does she call it? Like an assassin broker or something named Loretta? Wiki said it was their manager in the credits. It's kind of like their agent, yeah. Okay. I went to Wiki. That's um, what it oh, said. <laughs> it said their manager. I thought that was odd too, but hey. You know, Wiki is not always reliable. <laughs> But I guess you could say broker because, like she said, she had a finder's fee. So, okay. But um, basically, Georgia and Sharice are two assassins on the rise. And they apparently have a reputation because they took out some triads. And, you know, people are like, oh, okay, these are two women. Okay. And uh, again, it's 2006. So, you know, they're on the rise. They get offered an opportunity to bring in this buddy Israel. And the way that their characters work, Georgia, Alicia Keys' character, she's like the cool, calm, and collected one. You know, she's the one, she's the smooth talker. She's the one that's whatever. Taraji's character, Sharice, Sharice is the one that's like hyped up. She's like sitting there bouncing in her seat like, yo, so you mean to tell me because we busted off those triad motherfuckers, they want us to come in and do this mafioso shit? I mean, she's like the hood one to Alicia Keys' calm. And their whole thing, let me tell you the thing that was so funny to me about their scene. So when they meet with Padish, who is the guy from Sparazzo's group, when they're talking to him about... Oh, hold on. You, look what Lori changed her name to. You know what? We are not. We are not. We are not. I'm not even going to say it. I'm not even going to say it because she already made her feelings very clear at the beginning of this recording. So I'm not going to say it, but... You didn't even spell her name right. That's such disrespect. Like, <laughs> I don't even care that much to do it right. Exactly. That's messed up, man. Anyway. Anyway. Taraji is awesome because Taraji, she... I, I think the thing about her is we've seen her do a, a, a whole uh, range of characters in her career. And I think that she excels when she... I, I don't want to say straight hood, but when she's playing a tougher... Uh, persona, especially uh, person of interest, when she played the cop who was really rough around the edges. Uh, this yeah, she movie, was really good in that. Uh, you know, uh, Empire, when she played Cookie. No, Rose. no, you I said mean, it right. This... When she plays straight hood, that's when she's in her element. <laughs> oh, I'm being nice, but no, she is <laughs> really right. good. I mean, just the way that she sit there with her fork eating the food, that's, that's straight hood right there. I mean, I'm like, okay, because she's believable. And, and like I said, she's got this range. So yeah, no, I I enjoyed watching her, you know, in this scene. I enjoyed watching her in the movie, and I have some thoughts later on about certain things that happened because I think she was done wrong. But yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> we'll get into that. But the funny thing about yeah. their scene when they were talking to Padish, and they were giving him the rundown of how they were going to get in to Buddy Israel. Again, this is right after Alicia Keys first came out. So when Padisha's like, yeah, Loretta said you guys had a plan of attack to get in. So, you know, I can call my guy Sperna and you guys can explain it to him. So what's the plan? And Taraji's like, pussy. And he says, huh? And Alicia Keys says, pussy. And I was like, oh, my God, because that's the first time I had ever heard her curse. And I was just like, wait, it's almost like she was like, okay, go big or go home. Yeah, let's get that out there. 
But this is their plan of attack because as we see at the beginning of the movie, once we find out that, you know, Buddy Israel, basically what happens is the FBI, like I said, all these different crime bosses have different hits out on them because he has pretty much pissed off everybody trying to work his way to the top. And he's pretty much betrayed all of the crime boss people that he's befriended. So they're all out gunning for him. So what the FBI says is, okay, hey, we're going to bring you in and we're going to put you in witness protection, but you have to give us everything you know about La Cosa Nostra so that we can take them down. So he's supposed to be in witness protection right now. What happens is he got arrested, they bonded him out, and he skipped bail. And so he's hiding out in a hotel in Lake Tahoe. And the very first scene we see, there's very clearly been some kind of party slash orgy in his penthouse suite the night before because he's got all these half naked and naked girls all around the penthouse. And, you know, they're all sleeping in different positions on the floor, on the couch, on the tables, wherever. So obviously he has a reputation for this. And this is what Georgia and Sharice are going to use to get in. Okay. So that's them. Then you have Jack Dupree, who is a bail bondsman, and this is played by Ben Affleck. And I have to say, this is probably one of my favorite roles of him ever, just because, one, you get to hear him Because he's only in it for like five minutes? No. he Well, he's in it for a little bit longer than five minutes, but it's just the way, one, his character is telling his other two guys what the situation is with Buddy Israel, why they're looking for him who might be coming after him. And he's one of the people who explains about some of the hitmen as well. But it's the way that he comes across. First of all, they're in a bar. They're playing pool. He's got a cigarette. He's got this little skinny mustache goatee thing. And I don't know, something about it was just, I don't know. This was when I started my Ben Affleck crush was in this movie. And then hearing him talk with his Boston accent didn't hurt any. So, yeah. <laughs> Anthony sitting there smirking like, oh, my God. See, that's what it was. This is like him being like a bop, like, you know, he's like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. We're going to handle this on the Boston Yard, and, you know, we're going to get this guy, and then we're going to bring him back and make some cash. And it's like, <laughs> I agree. For the short time that he was in this movie, it was actually pretty good acting. I mean, you know, and him and Peter Berg, like, mm -hmm. like I think this is like when Peter Berg was actually getting a lot of parts. And it's like, you know, people were looking like, oh, shit, he's in it. But he was only in it for a second, too. And it's like, I'm not even sure what Martin Henderson was in, the other guy that actually ended up surviving what's coming up. But, yeah, I can agree with that. that so <laughs> so you have them, the Bill Bondsman and his two ex-cop friends, Pistol Pete Deeks and Hollis Elmore. They are working for the attorney for the firm who bonded Buddy Israel out who is played by Jason Bateman. I lost it. <laughs> when I saw him, and then there's the scene later on, I was like, well, of course that makes sense he's going to do that. I was like, is that who I think it is? Oh, my God. Okay, so, so what she's talking about, like, we were watching it. Jason Bateman is absolutely fucking amazing. He is brilliant. <laughs> it was funny. It was when he first is on the scene, they're talking to him, and you see the women's clothes lying around, and the person I live with who relates to our marriage, she goes, are those women's clothing in there? Like, yeah, okay. We didn't think anything else of it. And then later, when he's, 
lying there with the bra and the panties off. You're like, oh, and like Lori said, it makes absolute sense. Don't forget the furry head at the beginning or the I, bunny I head. Yes. I, I did Put the furry head down. Put it down. Jason, they <laughs> were cross-dressing, but I guess I did. Because I was like, oh, my God, of course he's going to do this. But, I mean, the, the whole, well, we won't get into the whole furry thing, but... <laughs> I, it was it was brilliant. Okay, I mean, but you have to think about it too. This movie was in two thousand six, so a lot of the things that are considered normal nowadays, or or more acceptable, or more you know, like people are comfortable about who they are. Those kinds of things weren't really talked about in two thousand six. So the fact that his character, first of all, he's in a seedy hotel room. He's very self deprecating. Like when the guys come in to talk to him about what they're gonna do and how they're gonna capture this dude, he's making like weird dick jokes and you know talking about how small his penis is and yeah, you know this is what God gave me. You know I want to be kind of like you guys. You know dicks. You know big basically he was telling. And his face was all beat up. Oh, my God. Not only beat up, he had like a herpes sitting on his lip or something. It was just, he was just so bad. And then he was in a dress shirt, and he was in some some boxer shorts, so he was half-dressed. He had the big rabbit head. Think Cha-Cha's bunny rabbit mask in the Umbrella Academy, but like 10 times bigger. That's pretty much the mask or the the thing. (laughs) I'm sitting here. It's, it's actually on that scene in the background now. <laughs> and I'm telling you, this dude was so weird and he was so self-deprecating. But it's almost like he's hiring these guys to find Buddy Israel because he's the one that bonded him out. So now he's like, it's almost like he's probably on the run from I don't know who. He's trying not to get in trouble. But his scenes in this, we only see him twice. But he's fucking hilarious both times. It's just, yeah, it's just, I mean, he's sitting there pinching his stomach, talking about how disgusting he is. He, well, he says, sadly, this is it. You know, it's disgusting. He says, thanks, God. Dog pile of piss poor physique on top of a small cock and hereditary alcoholism. I was like, wait a minute. What are we doing? I, I, I was like, really? <laughs> and all the guys are just sitting there looking at him like, um, hmm. Okay. When, when he said hereditary <laughs> alcoholism, I had to stop it because I was laughing so hard. He was just, oh my goodness. He was hilarious. So they come in, they're like, okay, you know, I've got a team assembled. We're going to go in and get this guy and everybody will be happy afterwards. <sighs> well, maybe not quite, but we'll get to that because I think, I, I, I hate to say it. What could possibly go Their wrong? death scene is one of the funniest moments in the film, which is bad to say, but it's because it's the Tremor Brothers. No, that shit was hilarious. It's like the Tremor Brothers drop by him while they're making Wait, wait, let's, let's, not, let's not get there yet. Not, not yet, because we got to... I thought we were talking about it. Okay. We got to introduce the Tremor Brothers. I was upset. That's all I'm going to say. So speaking of the Tremor Brothers, the Tremor Brothers are three brothers, obviously. As um, Jack says, they have one skank mother and three deadbeat dads. And basically what they do is, what is the best way to describe them? I guess they're supposed to be like... He said they rip riot shit. Yes. Yes, and what did he say? Straight anarchy. Yeah, they're they're the type of guys that will. Uh, what did he say? They're the type of guys that will recite main conf in their sleep. 
You know. No, they like his mother goose. <laughs> oh yes, like his mother goose. Like so they're hired killers, and they just kind of go in and just fuck shit up. And it doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter what. And the one example that Jack Dupree talks about in here was there was a um, guy that they were going after. They went into a restaurant. They shot up the whole restaurant trying to get this one guy. They killed eight people and wounded 28 other people. And in the process, one of them got shot in the neck. The other one got shot in the back and was temporarily paralyzed. So the big dude, Kevin Durant's character, he's got one on his back. He's got the other one he's dragging. And his eyes have been temporarily blinded by I forgot what. And they're just all crazy. They're like, they've got on like the black leather, they're supposed to be like this really harsh stereotype of uh, white. Um, I'm not going to say Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're like this really, yeah, they're like this really bad stereotype of white supremacist, goth, punk, Nazi, uh, uh, druggy. I mean, it's like all of those. Mythheads. Yes, it's like all those stereotypes in one. And so, okay, Anthony, Hanukkah, Anthony. I just quick quick clarification. I grew up in Central Illinois, and to say that they are methheads is nowhere near actual methheads. They are methheads light because I grew up with methheads. Trust me, they are nowhere near psycho. End of history about it. I, I don't know. Given some of the stuff know. that they do in this movie, they might be close. Oh, I've seen worse. <laughs> it's kind of out there, yeah. I've seen worse. I mean, it's pretty close, but I've seen worse. And then let me see. Yeah, we got, I think we we got to talk about Pasquale too. Yeah, there's another one, Pasquale Acosta. He is another assassin, and this dude, I think, aside from the Tremor Brothers, he probably scares me the most from his description. <laughs> Because he used to work for the government, and he used to torture people, and I mean, really, really torture people. Like, they show different scenes of what he does when he tortures people. So he had one person in a bathtub holding battery cables to his eyes. There was another person he had hangling upside down, butt naked, and he was using a blowtorch on the front. I mean, this dude is just... Oh, he's like a whole other level of crazy. And when he was caught, they actually caught him in prison, chewing off his fingertips to the bone so that he could not be identified through fingerprints. That's extreme. That is not the type of person I want coming after me. Dude is sadistic. Like, I mean, he has no conscience whatsoever. I mean, him chewing his fingertips off shows that he's determined to meet whatever goal that he's aiming at. I can even imagine biting my nails too low, much less chewing off the tips of my fingers. I've done the biting nails too low thing. So, yes, it's a whole different. Yeah, that that's like a level of compulsion that you can't control. Yeah, it's bad. Um, let's see. I think that's it for the killers, right? For the assassins, I think we got everybody. Uh, yeah, so let's go to Buddy Israel's team. Buddy Israel has a small team with him in protective custody. He has the ever so fine common as Sir Ivy. That's like one of his main bodyguards. He has Beanie, who is another, you know, big dude, big strapping dude bodyguard. And then he has Hugo, who is this Russian, um, 
think he's the patsy. I think that's the best way to put it. Hugo is the one that is kind of the stupid one. He's the one that's like, yes, boss, no boss. I'm stupid, boss, that sort of thing. Most notably in this, you know. Oh, God. Like because those are the I'm only just, words that he I'm knows. I'm just saying, when you. No. No, I'm getting, funny, I'm getting there. The I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm getting there. The words you, yeah, go, you, can talk about, you can talk about it. The words you're looking for is henchmen. See, people talk about what they do if they ever win the lottery. One no, of the no, 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 no. What you do is get a henchman. Sir Ivy and Beanie are the henchmen. Hugo is the fall guy. That he is the fall guy. Yeah. So we're introducing the one when when shit goes wrong. That's that's who they all gonna point to. Right. Did it. Such as yeah. when we're first introduced to Hugo at the okay. beginning of the movie. Uh, okay, okay, fine. <laughs> but but a henchman should wear an Adidas jogging suit, that's all I'm saying. No, listen, listen, listen. So we're introduced to Hugo in that very first scene that I talked about when mm-hmm. we see Buddy Israel in the penthouse. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, walking around, kind of irritated because it's the morning after. And he's like, all these people are in my space. They need to get out. And when we meet Hugo, Hugo is drinking a bottle of milk of magnesia to wash down whatever it was that he ate the night before. And Buddy Israel kind of points out, he's like, hey, What's this on my $12,000 calf skin jacket? Because apparently Hugo had a little too much fun at the orgy last night and jizzed all over the $12,000 coat. And this is how we meet Hugo. And I was just like, oh, wait. Hugo says we can wash it out. He's like, yeah, you want me to send out? And he was like, for what? Incinerate? He <laughs> He said there isn't a laundry detergent or dry cleaner that can get that shit out. Suffice it to say, not everything comes out. He wasn't lying. I mean, comes on, but it doesn't come out. <laughs> and then Hugo's thing is, you want, I apologize. And Buddy's like, only if you really mean it. I'm sorry. He was like, oh, get out of my face. But ew, that's how. So, so yes, this is why I say Hugo is the patsy. He's the fall guy. He's the one that Buddy Israel talks down to like he's just dumb as all get out. Yeah. So this is this is Buddy Israel's team. And then from the FBI, like I said, we have Deputy Director Locke, who is Andy Garcia. You've got Carruthers, who is Ray Liotta. You've got Messner, who is Ryan Reynolds. So those kind of round out like the main characters. Okay. So now. <sighs> Let's talk about everybody going after Buddy Israel because I know we want to talk about Tremor Brothers and we want to talk about this Ben Affleck scene. <laughs> so everything starts off kind of fast as far as people trying to get to Buddy Israel. Jack Dupree and his two guys, what they decide to do is they find out what kind of uniforms are used in the hotel and then they purchase the uniforms from where I don't know. So what they're going to do is they're going to use the uniforms to sneak into the hotel and try to get to Buddy Israel. Now, what happens is they pull over on the side of the road in Lake Tahoe. They pull out a map and they start talking about what they're going to do. And this car with really loud noise drives by and they all just kind of look at it and they go back to what they're doing. And then while they're talking and giving their plans out, the car backs up with the noise. And all of a sudden, gunfire. And I'm like, wait, he didn't even make it to Lake Tahoe. He's already dead? What the? 
you got to have situational awareness when you're going about things like this. It's like they were so concerned about their plan, they didn't notice the car of crazy neo-Nazis driving back and forth behind them in a car that was painted with, like, symbols and shit and, like, really? Right, because here's the thing. Jack should have known because he was the one that was telling everybody and telling us, the viewers, who the Tremor brothers were. Right. But I think his problem was, as we saw when he was telling them, he felt like he was the only one who had knowledge of where Buddy Israel was. And he was like, we got to do this within 18 hours because after 18 hours, this information that only I have is going to go through the grapevine and everybody's going to be gunning for this dude. So him thinking he was the only one with that information, like, this is a dude that has a million-dollar bounty on his head. Do you really think you're the only person with that information as far as where he is? There are people with money who know how to get that information. Now, how the Tremor brothers found this shit out, I have no clue. But, again, they are hitmen, so they probably have money. And for them to go around looking the way that they look, they are very unassuming because most people think about it. When you're out on the street and you hear like a loud car go by, somebody acting really, you know, being really loud and obnoxious in the car, you're going to glance at them and then you're going to turn around and what are you going to do? You're going to ignore them. You're not going to pay them another thought. And that's literally how they ended up getting the jump on Jack Dupree and his buddies because that's what they did. They drove past them, glanced turn back around, start talking about the stuff, they back up, shoot them. And they're like, oh, they have these nice uniforms. But the funny part of it, you know what, I'm going to let Anthony talk about this because I know you want to talk about it. So tell us about the Tremor Brothers and Jack. No, that was your scene with the, (laughs) (laughs) the, he was moving his mouth. (laughs) Okay, first, I'll let you talk about that. I just want, wait, first of all, one of the Tremor Brothers, why is he wearing a wrestling uniform? Like, he's wearing wrestling tights. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I have no fucking clue. And then Chris Pine's case, he's like, they were just, he, this Trevor brother and Kevin Durant, that Trevor, they're staring at each other. Like, they're just staring at each other. And he's like, don't do this right now. And all of a sudden, they start fighting for no fucking reason. They start fighting. <laughs> They were killing me. I thought I was gonna die every time they're on the on, on on the screen. And then Chris Pine goes over to Ben Affleck's dead body, <laughs> and he starts he starts messing with his face like he's a puppet. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, the, so he's having the conversation as himself, and then as dead Ben Affleck, and he's doing wait a minute. He's doing both characters. Like, how do you just turn around and you look at them and allow them to shoot you? But yes, so when Lester Trimmer gets out the car, Lester is the one who has on the swim goggles and the swimsuit. He gets out the car and he takes a sharpie and he draws an Adolf Hitler mustache on his face, first of all. Okay? You just kill three men and you get out and you have to draw a cartoon mustache on your face. That tells me, one, that you're disturbed already. Then, like you said... The other two brothers get out the car, and I think one of them actually starts peeing next to the car. And then I think it's Kevin Durant's tremor brother. He is Jeeves, and Chris Pine is Darwin. So after Lester gets out the car and paints on his mustache, Jeeves gets out the car. He goes, stands around the front. 
Lester starts peeing on the car and holding himself in one hand and he's got a knife in the other hand and he's carving into the top of the car for no reason. He's just carving. And then Darwin gets out the car. He starts walking towards the dead bodies. And like I said, Jeeves and Lester, they start fighting or whatever. Darwin walks over to, <laughs> he walks over to Jack Dupree, Ben Affleck, and he's just looking at him. And then he straddles him and sits down on top of him. And then he grabs his mouth. And like we say, he starts doing like the little puppet talking. And it's so funny because Ben Affleck is just sitting there. And and first it looks like Darwin is going to start caressing his face. And then he starts moving his mouth. I forgive you, Darwin. And I was like, wait, what's going on? He's like, oh, shoot, man. I sure appreciate that. He's doing the mouse talking as if Jack is Darwin. It's so weird. You, I mean, I don't even know if we can explain it properly. You have to see this shit. Go YouTube it. Just go YouTube it. It's the most hilarious thing because Ben Affleck is laying there dead. He's got a half smile on his face like he died with half a smile. And then you got Chris Pine coming, moving your mouth talking as if you're it's just it's like one of the most hilarious things in the movie i don't even know if we can describe it properly the, the thing is you're looking at ben effort he's half he's halfway smiling how many takes it probably took for him not to crack up <laughs> <laughs> with chris five doing that i can only imagine how hard that was to lay there and have chris pine i forgive you man oh shoot well you know if we had needed your car we would have killed you too. <laughs> and then he does the thing where he makes Ben's mouth move. He says, you know, it really is beautiful up here in heaven. And then he moves his hand and puts it over his face like he's crying. <laughs> like, dude, you just killed him. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> that, was, that was just, that was crazy. And the only thing I could concentrate on when I watched this, the funny thing is you're looking at how white Ben Affleck's teeth are and how blue Chris Pine's eyes are. (laughs) (laughs) And then at the end of it, he makes Ben Affleck smile and he opens both of his eyes. So Ben Affleck is sitting there looking at him with a smile on his face with Chris Pine's hands all in his face. I was like, yeah, Anthony, I I wondered that too. Like, how many takes did it take for y'all to get this right? How? You know, Ben was cracking up. And Chris Pine is just, he has a straight look on his face the whole time. He doesn't crack a smile, nothing. I don't know how they did it because that scene was so funny. I don't care how many times I watch this movie, that scene makes me crack up every single time. So then, of course, after he does all of this, he reaches into Ben's pocket because he's noticed the uniforms on the car. And then he sees the bail bond notice of intent for Buddy Israel. And he was like, Buddy Israel, that's what we're going to. And it's just kind of for him, it's like, oh, this is divine intervention. We were meant to find you guys so we can go do that. Small world. I was just like, oh. And all this while, the other two Tremor brothers are still fighting. Like, whatever. And he said, what did he say? All right, enough grab assing. <laughs> Let's kick it. <laughs> And then he tells them to pitch them poor fellas in the lake. So not only do you get disrespected by getting shot down, getting treated like you're a ventriloquist dummy afterwards, then they're going to pitch you in the lake. Just disrespectful. Man, those characters deserve better. (laughs) I mean, just 
even though one of them ends up surviving, is like what he has to go through to get back was just <laughs> oh my god, like ugh. I was just uh, I was like. Ugh. So what happens is later on in the movie, the FBI finds the guys in the uh, lake. They're able to identify who Jack is. So, of course, they know that, you know, oh, shit, these are people they were going after Buddy Israel. So that means that we're not the only people who know other people know. So this is when things start taking a turn because they realize, okay, we've got to get to this guy and get him under some better protection before all these people try to kill him. So Hollis is the one who, first of all, he didn't even want to come on this mission in the first place. He didn't want to do it. He's the only one that survives, but he gets frostbite. He's a little bit disoriented, and he happens to come out of the lake, and he wanders to the house of this old grandmother and her very special grandson. <laughs> Warren. Oh my God. And that's kind of where he sort of recovers. And he, and he was doing karate moves that he got a hard on, like pointing dead at his face. Like, I was like, that's so awesome. That, ho- that whole house is weird. That little boy. When, like, when she said, she said, yeah, I left with oh him God. because no. his dad, he's in prison and mom, like, left. <laughs> no, one of them committed, su- uh, oh, yeah, the, her husband committed her husband suicide, committed suicide right. after that. But Warren's, Warren's mom left her. Yes. When he got there to the house, they were trying to take care of him, make sure he was okay. They put him in the tub to warm him up. And she had dildos all over the tub. And I was just like, <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. And then, like you said, the, the boy is there. He's apparently on Ritalin. And I guess he supposedly has ADHD. Again, this is 2006. So nothing was politically correct. Nothing was. Uh... As someone who's been on Ritalin, I resent the fact that they think it works like Viagra. And we just got hard on that little kid randomly. Like, what the hell? Like, I just feel, <laughs> I, I feel, I feel, very misrep- I feel very misrepresented by that. I mean. Well, they kind of over uh, exaggerated everything back then, especially in this movie. <laughs> As a 49-year-old African-American woman who has no children, I can only say one thing about poor Warren, and I mean this with love, sincerity, and hope. That child needs to be institutionalized. I'm sorry. That child needed to go somewhere with some serious, serious psychological help. Screw the grandmother to be put somewhere because that child was not right. The Ridlin, I actually think, helped him because that child was sort of, oh, I don't know, screwed up. It was disturbing. It, I know it was 2006, but it was very, very disturbing to watch this child. I mean, I'm sitting there and I'm horrified because I'm like, who? What? No. I mean. Again, I have no children, so I really don't know what I'm talking about. But that child needed some help. That's all I'm saying. You want to talk about being absolutely horrified. The look on Hollis's face when a little Warren's heart out was wacky. Oh, my God. That was so... I mean, watching that... even so disheartened. Oh, my goodness. Even back then, he was just looking like... I don't know. I mean, you're in a bathtub surrounded by dildos. You have this little kid who keeps like... I mean, because he almost karate chopped his grandmother once, and she just kind of brushed it out. She, like, grabbed his arm, turned him around, and kept going, like, this is an everyday thing. Didn't at one point she said, go grab your nunchucks. 
Go play with those. <laughs> yeah, I think that I, I think most of them need like some serious therapy. It was funny, but it was weird too. But Hollis is able to uh, recoup a little bit. He does have to have two of his fingers chopped off, or I'm trying to remember where they chopped off or where they. Eat. I think I think maybe the fish got him in the lake or something like that. But two of his fingers were gone. So you've been shot at. Your friends are dead. You're missing two fingers. You have hypothermia, possibly a concussion. And then you see this thing on the news about your friends being murdered and what's going on. And you decide, hey, I'm going to take the keys to your car and I'm going to keep going to this hotel so I can get this guy. I was like, dude, just 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 sit in the house because you've already been through enough for the 10 hours that what was it? 10 hours, 12 hours that you guys have been on this mission. Just sit down. But I think we see him in one more scene after that. But, um, yeah, Ben Affleck and crew, they didn't have such a good day. They had 18 hours to get it done, and I don't even think they made it through 12 before the Tremor Brothers just came and fucked it all up. So in the meantime, while all this is happening, Georgia and Sharice have made their way to the hotel, and they're trying to check in. And as they're checking in, a gaggle of Buddy Israel's escorts and prostitutes are being escorted off the elevator. And they're making a lot of noise. And here comes some really mm-hmm. cutesy banter between George and Cherise and the receptionist. Because the re- receptionist is sitting here trying to book their room. And George's character is like, yeah, give us a double. And Cherise is like... Come on, baby. No, give me a king bear. I was like, oh, okay. So Sharice is feeling Georgia like that. <laughs> and then she has the nerve to insult her when, when, you know, because, of course, like we said, their plan is pussy. So uh, obviously one of them is going in, or I should say Georgia is going in as a prostitute to try to get into the penthouse. So when all the hookers and stuff are coming down or whatever, she's looking like, them your f- <laughs> But the woman who's playing the receptionist, I've seen her in other things, too. She was actually, uh, her name is Lorna Scott. She was also, if I'm not mistaken, she was the woman who Tara cussed out in the very first scene of True Blood when she was working in the store. Laura, you know what I'm talking about? So that was her, too. So she's a good character. Actress. That was her? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that. Mm-hmm. The one talking about she didn't want to drive all, an hour away to go get whatever it was she wanted to get, and Tara just kind of went off. So she's a pretty good character actress. I see her in a, a lot of those kinds of roles. But um, You're going to talk about her. Um, okay. The, I'm trying to wait. Just get the, yes, hold on. Uh, let me let me find that. <laughs> yeah, this is when, it, when it's Taraji's finer moments. Okay, so, to, so her question is, when they're trying to negotiate for their rooms and Sharice is like, no, nah, come on, we can have one room with one bed. You know, she uh, obviously she's feeling Georgia in a way that Georgia ain't feeling her. So she turns to the receptionist, who, of course, is this, you know, happy-go-lucky little white lady. And Taraji, as we said, she's playing this little hood character assassin. So she turns to the lady. She said, let me ask you a question. Y'all really let hoochies like that stay up in here? Because y'all must be burning sheets by the ton. She said, as a female, that shit right there don't get you? She said, okay, it's bitches like that. The reason why niggas don't pay our species any mind, they don't respect us. 
We're just meat for male consumption, pieces of ass and pussy, something pretty and lipstick and eyeliner that can suck a fucking cock. And Georgia said, Shh. she said, shut my ass. I'm trying to wake this bitch up. Trying to wake this bitch up. She's like, man, come here, come here. She was like, bitches like that make me weep for what could be. <laughs> if we all sisters everywhere, black, white, brown, and yellow, put our shit down one time, a united front. You know the female race mobilized, baby, moving as one. You feel me? <laughs> George is like, I'm going to need a mini bar key. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, look, we are here to assassinate some folks, not bring attention to ourselves. <laughs> Do you want a revolution? Whoop, whoop. Oh, let's see. After this scene is when we actually get to see Laszlo for the first time. He has his own Mission Impossible face. Man. Man. Like, how? So what Laszlo does is he somehow sneaks into the hotel again. You know, when we were first introduced to his character, he was a black Jamaican dude in a wheelchair. So he probably can make himself look like anybody. So what he does is he sneaks into the hotel and he actually goes into the valet's office and kills the valet. That's Vitoli. That's the person who Israel is telling them to go get like the whole, pretty much the whole movie. He's like, man, go find Vitoli. Go tell Vitoli to get here. I don't know what he needs Vitoli for, but uh, apparently he's important. And Laszlo kills him, and then he goes in and he takes pictures of Vitoli's face. He has a tape recording of Vitoli's voice from the answer machine. And so what he's doing is he's creating a mold of Vitoli's face so that he can wear a mask and go in and kill Buddy Israel. But the crazy thing is, it's not just a mask. So he's sitting there listening to the tape of Vitoli's voice, and Vitoli has like a little bit of a gravelly voice. So what he's doing while he's creating this mold, he is smoking cigarettes, he is gargling whiskey, and he is doing all of this stuff to change his voice so that he sounds like Vitoli. I was like, oh, he's also spraying something into his throat. And I'm like, yo, this is like really method. This is yeah, like he's the Daniel Day Lewis of assassins. Like he really like gets into his character and like <laughs> he is worth the million dollars that he would earn for this thing. But while he's doing this, Hugo comes downstairs because again, he's a lackey and he's the one that's been sent downstairs to get Vitoli. So he knocks on the door and Laszlo is sitting there listening and of course he's talking to who he thinks is Vitoli through the door. He's like, buddy wants you now up top. Come on, get out of here. And Laszlo is just standing there at the door listening. And Hugo is like calling Vitoli all kinds of names. He's like, where are you, you fat ass or something like that? Come on, come on. And he pounds on the door and Laszlo opens up the door and he shoots Hugo. Boom, boom. Hugo falls. Laszlo brings him in the office. And then next thing we know, he's creating a new mode. He's creating a new voice. I was like, oh, he's... Isn't there a scene where he's kind of looking at him back mm-hmm. and forth like, hmm, this one might be right. <laughs> like, I think I can pull this one off a little bit better. Because if you look at their faces, even though, you know, he has the markings on his face, they're a little more similar than him and the other guy. But yeah, so we get to, we see him literally put Hugo on a chair and we see him start making this mold. And I was like, you bring the whole workshop with you? <laughs> 
He's a professional. He's going to get it done. He's going to get it professional done. Professional now. Man. He's a business. He's, He's a, a business, business, man. Right. So up until this point, Buddy Israel... He's going back and forth between trying to get his stuff together in his penthouse. He's worrying about stuff. And then his manager is actually with the FBI right now trying to work out a plea deal for Buddy. Okay, if I testify, this is what I want. And basically what's trying to happen right now is Buddy is trying to get immunity for all of his boys as well, for Ivy, for Hugo, and for Beanie. And it's not working. Basically, the FBI, they're like, yeah, we're not doing it for you guys. You're the one that's testifying. We'll clear you. But you got to give your boys up. And Buddy is really trying to fight. He's like, I'm not giving them up. I'm not giving them up. But Mecklen is telling him, look, I've been here for 30 hours. They're not letting this go. It's either you and give them up or it's nothing. And so... Buddy is kind of caught in a rock and a hard place because he doesn't want to give his boys up, but he got people gunning for him. So he has to make a choice at this point. He makes the choice. He tells Mecklen he's going to give his boys up. And Ivy just happens to be in the background. He hears this whole conversation, or at least he hears Buddy's side of it. So he knows that Buddy is about to give him up. And the way he backs up out of that door and the look he has on his face, I'm like, oh, but he's about to have more problems than people coming after him because he's about to have a problem within his own four walls. But that's what you got to do. I mean, you got half of the West Coast crime syndicate looking for you. Got to get something up. But I just got to say too, Jeremy Piven's performance in this movie is so great. Like, where is he now? Because I haven't heard his name in a really long time. Is he doing anything? Yeah, after I, had Entourage, to look it up. I had to look it up because I didn't recognize who the actor was. I was like, oh, yeah. I, no clue. Anybody? No, sure. I mean, after, I mean, he was in Entourage. I think he did a couple of things. I can't remember offhand. Let's see. Yeah, he did Entourage. He did Sin City, A Dame to Kill For. He was in uh, the TV show Mr. Selfridge. Uh, he was in another TV show, Wisdom of the Crowd. Yeah, but he hasn't, you know, aside from those two things, he hasn't really done anything. Like, I haven't heard of those two shows, but again, I'm kind of like, uh, I'm kind of like Lori. If it doesn't fall within fantasy or sci-fi or genre TV, it's really not on my radar. This brings me to an important point out of any other movie that you've seen, that this movie is not fantasy, it's not sci-fi, it's not supernatural, it's not none of that. It's actually movie. It's just a regular movie, which is it's just a regular movie. Yes, but it's funny because when it comes to certain regular movies, if it has a really great ensemble cast, I will watch it. And it's not to say I don't watch, you know, quote unquote regular TV. I just don't watch it a lot, and I tend to stick more towards fantasy and sci-fi. Because I have more friends that I can talk about with it. But, like, the other stuff is just kind of like, mm, okay, it's normal. They're dealing with this. They're, you know, these people are dealing with, you know, work problems, marriage problems, family problems. I can deal with that stuff in real life. I don't want to deal with it in my fantasy life, too. Like, I want to have some fun. So that's why I tend to go towards fantasy and sci-fi. But, again, this film I don't even remember how I found it. It was just one of those things where I was like, oh, okay, it's got all these people. And Alicia Keys is acting. I was like, okay, let me just check this out. 
And it was one of those movies, I like I said, I just fell in love with it because it's so much fun. You know, you have this guy who is being hunted by everybody, by the law and by the lawless, you know, alike. And he's having to make a choice between giving up people that he cares about or taking care of himself. And eventually he makes a selfish choice and it does have consequences. But it's interesting seeing all of these other people. I think even more so interesting for me with this movie aside from his dilemma is watching all of these other groups try to get to him and the things that they do in order to get to him. Like Alicia Keys character, like we said, she dresses up as a prostitute so that she can go in with the next round. She is like completely unrecognizable. She has this long, long wig on. She's got the clothes on and she's strapped. That's the thing. She's got guns here and she's got a gun there. And it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, you wouldn't think of her as anything other than a prostitute because that's kind of how she made herself to look. You wouldn't look at her and think, oh, this is a bitch who's coming to kill me. But then not only do you have her in the hotel, you've got Taraji in the hotel across the street with a fucking bazooka so that she can get to the the 50 cal yeah i don't know what it is it's big <laughs> it's big and i think that is a, a buried 50 cal which is the sniper it's the anti-material sniper rifle those of us who play call yeah. of duty bottom warfare know it very well one shot one kill is it was intended by the military to take out vehicles not necessarily people, so the damage it does to a person's body is absolutely yes, really high, really high caliber. I mean, it's like it's it's overkill if you're trying to kill a person using that. Like that's hella overkill. <laughs> now the recoil on that thing should have dislocated her shoulder as hard exactly. as exactly. It should. It should have really cut her in half. As much as at the rate that that she ended up shooting it, she should not have had a shoulder, like at mm-hmm. all. Because she was shooting it at a at a at a pretty high clip. Once we get to that part, and it's like most men would have dislocated their shoulder at that point shooting that gun because the gun has a really hard kickback. And she's little. She's little compared to who I would think be, would be using that type of weapon. She's little. She's very short stature, and I guess it's supposed to look that way. Like, yes, yeah, she may be little, but she packs a punch. Oh boy, does she! But like I said, you have the Tremor brothers who pretty much murdered uh, the bail bondsman in order to get there. You have Alicia Keys' character who is uh, pretending to be a prostitute while her partner is in the hotel across the street ready for any and everything, like literally. You've got Laszlo who has now killed Hugo, made a mold of his face, and is coming upstairs. He's coming to the penthouse as Hugo, you know, and there's security up there. Basically what the hotel has done, they've told all of the guests that the penthouse suite is being renovated. So nobody can go up there. Even security supposedly can't go up there, which leads to another cameo. I guess it's not necessarily cameo, but another small role in this film, Matthew Fox from Party of Five. He's in this film as the head of security. And Pascal's character. Matthew Fox from Lost. He was in Party of Five first. We're going to go with Lost. He was in Party of Five first. (laughs) 
because in Party of Five first, he was the older brother that took care of his famous. More famous for Lost. No, he got Lost because of Party of Five. No, I agree with Hanukkah. It was Party of Five. Boo, Party of Five. Just boo. Whatever. Whatever. Matthew Fox from Party of Five and Lost. (laughs) So he's the head of this. Uh, no, 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 what, no. What did the person who lives with you that you're related to by marriage say? Did she also say party of five? Did she also say party of five? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You guys heard that, right? She's in the background. She said party of five, too. So party of Matthew Fox from party of five. Hey, real quick. <laughs> he plays the lead. Before we go on, I got to give a shout out to Joel Ledgerton, who played Hugo for actually giving the nuances of being Hugo, but then being Laszlo as Hugo. And as Hugo, acting, yeah. yeah. And, and acting like someone different, but kind of acting the same, kind of. Mm. But I, th- I thought he did a really good, really good job of like, because it's not, really, it's not Tommy Flanagan in a mask. It's actually Joel Edgerton acting like Tommy Flanagan in a mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, shout out to him. That was, he, he actually did a really, pretty good job doing that. Yeah, we're not done talking about him yet. So Matthew Fox's character is the head of security in this hotel. And it is through his character that we meet Acosta. So again, Acosta is the person who is the expert torturer. He's the person who gnawed down his fingers to the bone so that he would never be fingerprinted. So he comes into the hotel as part of the, what was it, the... um, the gaming commission. Gaming commission. That's what I'm trying to think of. So he comes in as somebody from the gaming commission needing to get information, whatever, whatever. He goes in and he talks to Matthew Fox's character. And as he's talking, the security guy is answering questions, but not answering questions. You know, he's being very clever. He's being very evasive with specific questions about the penthouse, because of course, yes, they're saying that it's under renovation, but he knows that there's somebody up there that they're supposed to be in hiding or whatever. So Acosta ends up killing the head of security, Matthew Fox's character, and then he takes his uniform and then he becomes the head of security so that he can get up the stairs. And it just so happens that one of the hotel employees sees him first as the gaming commission person, like he's the one who gave him directions. Oh, let me get the head of security for you. And then he sees the guy come up. He was like, um, well, he came in and said he was this person, but now he's an FBI agent and da da da. So that all, that all comes into play a little bit later in the, in the film. But, um, I'm trying to think what else is happening at this point. So after Jack Dupree and his people are murdered, Messler and Carruthers head towards the hotel. And of course, this is when everything is getting ready to go down. Like all all the principal players are just about in place. Hugo, not Hugo. (laughs) We have a lot of those uh, characters in our shows, don't we? Somebody, not somebody. But Hugo, not Hugo, has made his way to the penthouse. And the security people have let him in because, of course, they think he's Hugo. So he walks into the penthouse. Beanie is in there cleaning up and, um, you know, Beanie is one of those people. He's a big black dude. He's the one that's got the smart mouth. He's the one that's always calling people names. So when Hugo comes in, he immediately starts going in on him, just calling him names, messing with him about the fact that he jizzed on the boss's coat and all this other stuff. 
And he has no idea that this person that he's talking to is not Hugo. So he's sitting there vacuuming and all of a sudden you hear <clears throat> because Hugo has just shot him in the back with a silencer. So he turns around and says, oh, no, you did Boom. Get shot again. And literally they, it blasts him across the room. I'm like, wait, what kind of gun did he shoot? Because Beanie ain't a small dude. What kind of gun was did, he using? They did Beanie wrong, man. That was a movie magic. That was <laughs> is that what it is? Basically. Okay. So now we've pretty much got all the principal players in place. Georgia is waiting on the elevator with all the prostitutes. The Tremor brothers have made it to the hotel. Acosta is in the hotel. Laszlo is in the hotel. Did I forget anybody? Laszlo. Nope. I think that's it. Uh, the brothers, um, Georgia. FBI agents. Yeah, FBI agents. Yeah, Ray Liotta. The FBI agents. Okay. Yeah, Ray Liotta is there because he and Messner are separated at this point. The Tremor brothers are there in the uniforms that Jack and his boys were supposed to be wearing. And then on top of that, the Swede is on his way to the hotel. You know, the Swede that's working for Primo Sparazza. And also, I'm sorry. I'm looking at I'm looking at the scene of Lisa Keys and the Trimmer Brothers on the elevator. <laughs> Don't go there yet. Don't go there yet because I'm about to get there. So Messner and Carruthers are separated because Carruthers goes to the hotel. Messner goes to check out the murder scene and realizes that you know it's Jack Dupree and his bail bondsman, and that's when he realizes, okay hey, they rented some uniforms that are supposed to look like the hotel uniforms. And that's when he starts putting it together. Oh, okay, some shit's about to go down. So he starts trying to get to the hotel. He's trying to radio to Carruthers. Carruthers can't hear anything because, the you know, the radio's not working. There's no reception. It's 2006. They don't have 5G technology back then. And um, everything starts to go down. Acosta goes up into the elevator. And he's going in the elevator as head of security because Carruthers has gotten there, shown his badge. Hey, I need to get up to your penthouse right now. So those two are on the elevator together. Georgia is on one of the higher floors waiting for the elevator with the prostitutes to come up. The Tremor brothers are all in the hotel uniforms now. Other thing, 2006. Nobody looked at Jeeves Tremor and said, we don't have an employee with a spiky blue mohawk. Right. Nobody noticed that? Nobody. Movie okay. continuity. Got to get just going with it. Just keep going. I know. But then again, and then they snuck in. They were on the basement level, so maybe nobody saw them. We'll just go with that. On top of all of this, all these key players getting ready, you also have Ivy in the penthouse who has overheard Buddy Israel saying that he's going to give up his boys. You've got Hugo in there um, who just killed Beanie, and Ivy's character gives a pretty good speech in this movie, too, at this point. So Buddy is in the bathroom. He's crying. He's high. You know, he's doing this thing of self-reflection in the mirror because he's just giving up his boys, and then... Ivy is in the doorway of the bathroom where he is. He's like, so what did Mecklen have to say? And Buddy starts lying to him. He was like, yeah, they're getting close. They got a handful of deal points, and then it's, it's going to be all good. We're getting close. 
And then Ivy says, what you shaking for, man? But it's all good, right? And Bud is just looking at him. And then Ivy says, you know, he tells him, he was like, look at me, man. Look, look at me. And he says, you believe in loyalty, don't you? And Bud is like, do I believe in loyalty? And Ivy says, especially the kind of loyalty when an otherwise sensible motherfucker like myself put his own best interests aside. Because outside a goddamn dog, that kind of loyalty, my kind of shit, don't get no more dedicated or devout. And then Buddy is like, so what are you trying to say? And it's starting to get real intense there because Ivy looks like he about to start pulling a gun or whatever. And they go back and forth. And that's when... um, For some reason, this scene and the fact that Taraji is in this movie brought back memories of Common Song Testify, where he's like in the courtroom. And it's a song about the girl like snitching on her man, like Mm -hmm. testifying against him and stuff. Because like testify the video for that actually came out a year before smoking aces so i'm wondering if they were working on the movie and he was just like hey you want to be in my video okay cool so it's kind of it just it just kind of brought that to mind but common is a, that's a smooth motherfucker <laughs> i mean I, I i mean game recognized game he's a smooth motherfucker it's just like i mean he he over there talking like yeah you know loyalty is like i'm like like damn like yeah loyalty yeah yeah go ahead I mean, just a smooth motherfucker. So he asked him again. He was like, what did you say to Macklin? And Buddy's like, what I've always been saying, let's make a fucking deal. And then Ivy says, man, this is a time for you to be completely honest with me. He said, this is one of the rare moments where you, where your ass get a chance to be honest. He said, if I'm asking you what you said to Macklin, some of this shit is rhetorical. Let's assume <laughs> I already know. <laughs> You know, you you were being told that your ass is about to get whipped or killed. <laughs> Man, so what happened? One of the things Buddy Israel does throughout this movie is he does like little card tricks, and so he holds up a card and tells Ivy, he's like, "What do you see?" And Ivy's like, "I'm not playing these games with you." And he says, "You see exactly and only what I choose to show you." He said, "That is the illusion, Ivy." That is the lie that I tell your eyes, making the magic happen in the moment, in that split second. But seeing behind this motherfucker and knowing are two different things, and that is why I'm more important or something like that. And I'm like, oh, really? This is what you're telling the head of your security? The person who holds the gun for you? Because if you look at what they say about Buddy Israel in the beginning of the film, he got to the top. Not because he was out doing the stuff that was supposed to be doing the the breaking and entering, the bank robberies and all this other stuff. He was financing it. He didn't get his hands dirty. But you sit here talking shit to your head of security. Oh, that's what he said. He says, that's why I'm valuable here, Ivy, and that is why you are not. And Ivy's like, oh, I'm not, va- I'm not valuable. Oh, okay. I'm about to show you some stuff. He gets ready to shoot him, and of course, Buddy takes one of his cars and throws it at him, and it kind of cuts him in the face, and he starts shooting blindly because at this point, he can't see, and at this point in the movie, a lot of stuff starts to go down because Deputy Director Locke has been on his way to Lake Tahoe this whole time so that he could finalize the deal. So while he's getting ready to get on the plane, he's handed this really, really thick dossier. 
and he reviews it while he's on the plane. This, you know, it's about Primo Sparazza. We see that much because we see him looking at pictures of Primo Sparazza on the thing. And then you also see some things about Primo's surgeries. Now, the interesting thing about this is one of the big things about Primo Sparazza's reputation is he supposedly has had like 100 contract hits to his name, including one of the FBI's most decorated agents. And supposedly this agent, um, Agent Heller, back in the, I think it was the 50s, he was one of the people that kind of um, revolutionized the whole going undercover type thing because what he did to infiltrate the mob is he actually underwent extensive plastic surgery to look like a different person so that, you know, they could not say, oh, this person's FBI or whatever. He looked completely different. Supposedly he got found out and he got murdered by Primo Sparazza. So whatever is going on in this dossier that Agent Locke is looking at, it's enough for him to pull the deal for Buddy Israel. So while all this stuff is going on in the penthouse, everybody's getting ready to kill Israel, Deputy Director Locke calls his people and says, tell Mecklen the deal is off. There is no witness protection for Buddy Israel. So not only did you just give up your boys for nothing and make them mad at you, now you don't even have a deal to save your own ass. And on top of that, all of these people are about to come try to murder you. Other funny thing is while Georgia is waiting for the elevator to come up, an elevator stops on her floor, and it's of the Tremor brothers, and they're half-dressed because they're changing out of the hotel uniforms, and they're changing into their own uniforms. And they look at her, and they're like, you know, they, they do the the natural, you know, gross guy thing, like, you know, making gestures to her or whatever. And she looks at them, and she doesn't even bat an eyelash. She just shoots them the bird and keeps so on going, Chris right? Chris Pine chewing on the Tito. Uh, <laughs> and then Kevin, I keep wanting to say Kevin Durant, but Kevin Durant is in the back shaking. Yeah. <laughs> well, what he's doing is he actually, it, he has his arm up, and there is a tattoo of a woman in his armpit. And so he puts his finger in his armpit because that's where the woman, uh, you know, her, that's where her no, vagina is. The and other tremor brother who sticks his hand in his pants. Oh, the other tremor. He's like this. Oh, that <laughs> one. <laughs> but she's like, I'm going down. And Chris Pine's like, that bitch you are. <laughs> They are absolutely freaking ridiculous. Ridiculous. Kevin Durant, they did with his hands and his hands backing off. It was hilarious. She literally is just standing there. Like the door is just open. What are you going to do? <laughs> and she just shoots them a bird and the door closes. And of course, Sharice is like, do I need to do anything? She's like, nah, it's just these assholes that was on the elevator. So... Okay, I guess we can get into the thick of it now. Like I said, everybody. Yeah, I, I, you know, I was gonna sing that too, and then I was like, nope, Mike's gonna go. (laughs) So you got all the assassins, you got the FBI, you got Ivy and Hugo in the penthouse with the buddy Israel. So this is where everything 
starts to pop off. Where the proverbial shit hits the fan. Yeah. Yeah, that's putting it lightly. We should start with the elevator with um with Pasquale and the agent and um and Ray Liotta because that kind of starts things off a little bit. Sets things off. Okay, so you've got Agent Carruthers on the elevator with Hitman Acosta. Acosta is pretending to be head of security, so he's in the front of the elevator. Carruthers is in the back. Um, Messner is trying to get through to Carruthers on the radio, and of course, they're on the elevator, like I said, no 5G at this time, or his batteries are going dead, whatever the case is, he can't really hear what Messner is trying to say. So as he's sitting there, he happens to look at Carruthers, I mean, um, at I forgot what the security guy's name was supposed to be, but he's looking at Acosta. They're talking. He's like, hey, does this phone on the elevator work? He's like, no, but when we get to the penthouse, you know, you can use the phone up there. So they're talking and he just happens to kind of look over and he notices Acosta's hands. Now, again, this is on an elevator in a hotel. You know, a lot of those elevators have mirrors on them. So as he's looking at Acosta's hand, Acosta realizes that Carruthers is looking at him. And like Mike said, this kind of sets things off because they look at each other, they realize what's going on, and then all of a sudden, bam, 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 bam. In the elevator. Like, they they were shooting each other in the damn elevator. I mean, it's like, it's basically like holding a gun and holding a gun out and it, it like touching each other's chest. And somehow when they got up there, they were still alive. Man... So basically what happens is he's telling the um, security guy, he's telling Acosta to shut the elevator down. Acosta's like, no, I can't do that because of whatever, whatever, whatever. So he starts asking questions. He's like, how long have you been working here? And then, of course, he goes for his gun. Acosta is looking at him in the in the elevator. So Acosta actually has this, um, what do you call it? You see it a lot in, like, killer movies or whatever where they have, like, the little – yeah, like spike or something <laughs> hidden up there. Uh, yeah, hidden up their sleeve. So when Carruthers pulls the gun, he lets the the spike out. He goes towards Carruthers. Of course, Carruthers shoots him. He stabs Carruthers, and then he has a gun come out of his other sleeve. So there's a shootout. Bang, 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 bang. Georgia hears this. Sharice hears this on her um, earpiece, and she's like, "Yo, what just happened?" Georgia's like, "Yo." I hear some shooting. They don't know what's going on. They don't know if anything is going on in the penthouse, whatever, but everybody, you know, they're trying to figure out what's going on. So after the shooting, the gunshots are heard through the hotel. They do an emergency stop of all the elevators. So, of course, the Tremor brothers are on one elevator trying to get us up, and this doesn't deter them. They got flares. They got all kinds of stuff. They figure out a way to jimmy the elevator so they can get upstairs. So they find a way to get the elevator back working. I don't know what, the, I need to know what these Tremble brothers did before they became killers. Because they just sitting here figuring stuff out. I mean, they had, you know, you know, the things that you can get to charge, you know, jump yeah. your car. Why are you carrying that right. with you? Because you never know. Because, Anthony, you never know, know when you're going to have to jumpstart an elevator. <laughs> I mean, you never you, you never know. You have to be ready just in case. See, the, these Tremor brothers were obviously Boy Scouts because they're prepared for anything. No. Always got to say, be prepared. No. But you know what? That might make sense. <laughs> I mean, because 
pretty much yeah yeah pretty much everything that anything that they would need to do they've been able to do it like I don't know if it's just luck or you know as Anthony says it's just writing but they were able to find uniforms to get into the hotel they were able to get in undetected even with their crazy looks their crazy hairstyles the elevator gets you know emergency shutdown oh that's no problem we have a way to start it back up and keep on doing what we're supposed to be doing okay I guess everything just works out for y'all all right but um like I said earlier, and this is the other part about Jason Bateman, we'll talk about when Hollis is at the grandmother's house being put into the tub so that he can warm up after his attack. You know, like I said, he sees a news report about it. Then we see Jason Bateman's character <laughs> who is laying in the bed with his bra. And did he have a tutu on or did he just have something? I don't know. But, of course, he realizes that his guys have been murdered doing this thing. Padish is also watching, and he realizes that something is going on. He's like, oh, okay, wait a minute. This is not going well. Messner is on his way in the hotel. He's trying to figure out where Carruthers is, not knowing that Carruthers is um, already dead. Ivy is still talking to buddy which i'm like at this point dude you already know y'all about to fight you already know this just go ahead and shoot and get it over with anyway (laughs) so like i said you have the shootout that just happened with carruthers and acosta on the elevator you've got ivy and buddy about to get into it right now like ivy is pulling his gun and that's when he starts shooting Hugo comes in, of course, he's he's like ducking from Ivy because Ivy can't see because he's been hitting the face with a car and the security comes in and they take down Ivy. Hugo is kind of, well, Hugo, not Hugo, is kind of like, yo, I didn't have anything to do with this. Sharice hears all of this going on on the radio she has and she's freaking out like, what the hell is going on? What's What's going on with all this stuff? So like I said, everything is starting to pop off now they just found beanie dead buddy blamed ivy for beanies it's just a whole bunch of stuff going on and the real shit ain't even popped off yet the elevator is on georgia's floor she opens up the elevator she finds acosta and carruthers she realizes they're both alive and she's telling all of this to sharice on their earpiece She goes to check Acosta first to see whether or not he's still alive and trying to figure out who he is. Then she checks Carruthers and she's like, you know, this was a fed and he's dead. And then Sharice is like, hold up. She said, one of them is not real. One of them has a fake badge. And, oh, that's when she reached down for Acosta. He still has a spike showing in his hand. So she lifted up his arm and it retracts. And then, like I said, she's reaching over him. She pulls her hair over. And I was like, y'all are making this so obvious because it's the hand that's got the spike that she's holding up to try to get to his wallet to figure out who he is. But thankfully, she doesn't die, which Lori's probably upset about. But right. <laughs> actually, no, I, I, I think that what happened with her character and Thomas' character I, uh, was probably one of the better moments of the movie because we didn't die, you know, mm, yeah. for once in the movie. So 
what happens is she's on the radio with Sharice, and she's telling Sharice, okay, both of these are fed. She's got both of their IDs, and Sharice is like, no, one of them is fake. So she says, oh, I have one of them is a something Diego, and the other one is a Carruthers. And Messner is listening to this on his radio. I don't know. Somehow he's picked up their frequency. But she says, I need to know which one of these is real because I'm killing the motherfucker that ain't. So, of course, he's running, trying to get to them. In the meanwhile, security is about to take Ivy downstairs, and the elevator that's coming up to the penthouse is smoking. <laughs> so the security guard, <laughs> the security guards get ready to start shooting. Ivy does what a black person does. He steps back, and he kind of walks in the other direction like absolutely not. I would have done the same thing. Bruh. Mm -hmm. Like the elevator is coming up smoking. Nah, that's not something I want to mess with. Same Mm -mm. here. I'm like, okay, that's all you. In the penthouse, Buddy is sitting there crying about his bad look. Like, Beanie's dead. Ivy done betrayed him. Hugo is still there in the penthouse with him. And he doesn't realize that Hugo, not Hugo, is pulling out all of the tools out this bag so that he can take his heart. I was like, um, so are you going to kill him first? Or are you just about to crack it open right then and there and just go for it? Crack him open like an oyster. Man, that's what it looked like. That's what those tools look like. I was like, um, like, who just carries that around? But I forgot part of the bounty was that Primo wanted Israel's heart. So, okay, whatever. And this is when Buddy gets the uh, phone call that the FBI revoked the deal. Mecklen calls him. He's crying. Buddy's crying. He's like, wait, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, they pulled it. They don't want to do the deal. It's off. We're fucked. Buddy, at this point, he's like, okay. He sees somebody's gun on the floor. He picks it up and he looks like he's about to shoot himself in the mouth. And then he... I don't know. He passes out. He does something. He basically has, I don't know if he's having a reaction to the stress, if he's having a reaction to the drugs, but he basically like falls down. And yeah, this is when everything starts popping off because outside of the penthouse, the elevator opens, the Tremor brothers come out. And I mean, they've got guns, they've got chainsaws. It's about to be mayhem. So they start fighting and and shooting and like one of the elevators comes up to that floor and people start shooting. Some of the prostitutes get hit. Georgia gets hit. At this point, Messner has made it up the stairs. Both of the guys in the elevator, Carruthers and Acosta, are alive somehow, like you said, Mike. Acosta grabs Georgia, is about to kill her. He gets shot by Messner, and then Sharice can't hear anything because when Georgia gets shot, her radio goes out. So Sharice lets all hell break loose. Yeah, I mean, she she was emptying clips like crazy. Man. And like I said before, I'm surprised that she still has a shoulder because she's only like four foot three and she's over there holding a gun as big as she is. And You like did not say up. she's four foot three. <laughs> right around there. But she, I mean, she was just like, ah! I mean, it was like Rambo-like. I was like, shit. And she was lighting everybody up. 
Like, she didn't care. Man, she was lighting everybody up because, and before all of this, when she realizes she can't hear Cherie, she's trying to run to a different room for better sight line. Carruthers has died in the elevator. They've pulled Acosta out. Georgia is still in the elevator, so she kind of pulls herself over to the door so that she can close it, and she's trying to call Sharice to let her know what has happened. Sharice can't hear her. She goes to a window. She looks through her scope, and she sees, like, activity on the floor, and she sees one of the prostitutes laying dead, and she thinks that it's Georgia, and that's when she let it loose. On yeah. another floor, the Tremor brothers are wreaking havoc. I mean, they are shooting people. The security people are shooting. Somebody then got set on fire somehow. I think one of them had a flamethrower. And some it it's just a whole bunch of stuff going on. Like, I I don't know. It's a it's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Ivy gets knocked down. You know, he's zip tied. His hands are zip tied together. But one of the security guys falls down next to him and he has the gun. So he picks up that gun. He shoots uh, Lester Tremor, I think. Yeah, he shoots Lester. Lester is dead. Jeeves gets upset. He cuts down the chandelier. He's trying to kill people. He gets shot and ends up landing on his chainsaw. Oh. Every time I watch this movie and I see that part, I have to pause and I have to wait a few minutes because ouch like he sits on the chainsaw man bruh no 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 i yeah that you have to pause it i literally have to look away and like just literally turn i've turned the whole tv off like i can't even look at the screen i'm like no (laughs) which is what we're not gonna do i'm not even looking at the screen yeah that that looked painful well i don't know i don't know what it is about people when they have chainsaws, having them go down there when they're fighting with them, like, nah. In, in the absolute wrong location. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. No. That was just what, what I'm not going to watch. I wouldn't want no part. Right. So Ivy kills two of the Tremor brothers. He's able to get away. Darwin Tremor is able to get away somehow. Let's see what else happens. Like we said, Sharice is lighting it up. She is killing people left and right. And she doesn't care who it is. She's killing bad guys. She's killing FBI agents. She she is killing everybody. And it's I know this is not supposed to be funny, but when Messner realizes where it's coming from, they're all sitting there shooting with regular guns. Now, she's in a hotel that's like several hundred feet away. What is that little gun going to do? Because then he empties out all his bullets and then he throws a gun like, ah, dude, what is that going to do? Like, anyway. That's kind of the thing. It's like when you run out of bullets, you, the gun becomes a projectile. It's like, you know, I mean, you, you can't right. hit him with bullets, but you can hit him with a gun. Like, right. Yeah, so it's a bloodbath at this point. Darwin Tremor. He's about to kill Ivy. And the elevator stops and she steps out. And, of course, she's hurt, but she literally walks right up to him. She puts the gun up to his head, and they hear a helicopter coming across the hotel. And the helicopter has the sweep, but we'll talk about that in a moment. Here comes the helicopter. Darwin Trevor uses this as a way to kind of distract. He pushes uh, Georgia out the way and gets on the elevator. Ivy catches Georgia before she falls. He walks down the stairwell with her just as the FBI agents are coming up. 
Now, I will say this about these Tremor Brothers. They are quick change artists because Darwin gets into this elevator where Carruthers and Acosta were. He wipes most of the blood off of himself. He grabs Carruthers, um, the security jacket that he had on. He puts it on. He gets downstairs. He pulls out the badge. And he's like, there's, you know, his gun shooting upstairs, blah, blah, blah. He walks out of the hotel scot-free. What kind of luck do these dudes have? Well, obviously his brothers don't have it anymore, but like everything in this movie was just working out for him up until the end. But still, like you get out the elevator after all this stuff and nobody thinks to stop you. Like, excuse me, we need to question you. You got blood on you. You're disheveled. You're talking about how, you know, all this chaos is going on. Nobody thinks to stop you to get more information, to ask what happened? There was, there was chaos. Uh, there was chaos. I don't know. He, he took advantage He's of the chaos. No, I guess. continuity. Let him escape, let him go. But, um, so the helicopter. Helicopter actually has the deputy director on it. They come in, they find Buddy Israel, they grab him, and Hugo is captured and then it well hugo not hugo captured and then escapes the swede is also on the helicopter and it turns out the swede is actually not a hitman he is a heart specialist so he's able to determine something is going on with buddy israel they need to get him to the hospital whatever whatever we'll come back to that in a moment georgia and ivy they're going down the staircase and they get stopped by agent messner Agent Messner is about to shoot both of them because all he knows is that Georgia is the one who was on the elevator with his buddies when all this stuff went down. He heard her say that she was going to shoot one of them, whoever wasn't the real FBI agent. And at this point, his partner is dead, so he's a little pissed. He gets ready to shoot Ivy, and then she comes down with the gun. I was like, okay, Miss Georgia, being the badass, saving your probably finna be future man from near certain death. But anyway, both of them like, look, she says, I didn't do your man up there. I ain't got nothing to do with this. Same thing with Ivy. She was like, let's just go about our business. You go your way. We go ours and we just call it that. So he goes upstairs to keep, you know, trying to track down whatever it is that's going on. Ivy and Georgia, they leave. They get ready to cross the street. And at this point, Sharice picks this time to look into her scope again to try to see what's going on. She points the scope down. She sees that Georgia is being carried out of the hotel by Ivy. And she's just like, huh? And as she's doing that, the FBI agents are coming to her hotel room. And just as she realizes that Georgia is alive and she did everything that she did for nothing, they burst into the room and we already know she probably didn't make it out that hotel room. But Lori, you said you had something to say about Sharice. Yeah, I um I, I thought that the main the main thing about her is that I like the way that she was portrayed, but at the same time, if you're gonna be a, a high level uh assassin contract killer and all that, I thought that Taji did a good job, but the fact that all of them lived I mean, her heart was broken, you know, because of what she thought was going on. But the fact that they lived, because everybody, I mean, everybody died. I mean, it was a blood. I don't think Sharice lived. 
I don't think she lived because those police officers were coming into that room and after were she they? just shot up a whole hotel floor. Yeah, I don't think she lived because okay. when okay. she sat down and she okay. realized that Georgia was alive, you saw the officers coming, you know, they were like running up a staircase. I think they were coming to her room and I don't think she made it out of that room alive. Okay. Because if I'm not I mistaken, it- I think we might have heard a shot after that, but I don't, I can't remember. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think she made it out of there uh, alive. Yeah, there, there were good shots right I, I took it that her heart was yeah, broken. Yeah, it was, she was just just there, just bereft. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah, no she just shot hurt. up a floor full of FBI agents. I guarantee you, she did not make it out of that room. Okay. Well, at least the other two made it out alive. Yeah. That that was that was so that it was, was sad. so so heartbreaking, man. Like her poor little heart was just like she was like, huh? Yeah, she felt her like what a hot that? potato. <laughs> but it was supposed to be. Well, I mean, to be fair, is well, no, not to be fair. You know, that was that was kind of the douchey. It's like Alicia didn't even, she didn't even. I'll, but is there really a way to know if she was getting ready to go and try to mm. communicate and find out what's up with her? Or I was took she it just that she away found there found because, somebody that she was into. They both managed to survive, and they was like, "Why don't we slip out the back door and move on and kick it?" That's the way I got it. No, actually, what happened was she got shot twice. I know she got shot. She twice. couldn't really walk, and Ivy just happened to well, be there but, when yeah, you know when Darwin they, pushed her. They were going down. The, yeah, but remember she made the "I'll leave you alone if you leave us alone." Yeah, but she wasn't talking about us. As in, at that point, it wasn't a romantic. It was a look. You go handle your thing upstairs. You leave us alone. We don't have nothing to do with nothing that just happened because okay. Messner was pissed off because his partner died. And remember, she was on the same elevator right. and right. he overheard her saying, there's two feds on this elevator. One of them is fake. I need to know which one because I'm about to kill the one that's not a fed. I got that. So he doesn't know what happened in that elevator. He just knows that she was on the elevator. And that's why she told him, she was like, look, I didn't do your boy up there. That wasn't me. She was like, look, we don't have nothing to do with this. Just let us go about our business. And then, you know, like I said, she was hurt and they were talking as they were coming down the stairs. And then he was asking her, what was she doing there? And she was like, I was about to go in there and act a fool. And then that's when he was like, oh, hold up. You living that kind of life? Okay, I might like that. So they were being flirty. But I don't think at that point it was a whole, oh, yeah, I'm about to be with him. She was hurt, and he was getting her out the hotel. That was it. And I think if Sharice had still been alive, she would have found a way to try to get to her. But like I said, after everything that happened, no, they weren't letting Sharice out that hotel room. So she probably had to find out the hard way because, of course, her just coming out of that hotel where all of this shooting came from, it wouldn't be wise for her in her condition to go to that same hotel where somebody was shooting from. Right. That might be a little suspicious. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, yes, it's heartbreaking for Sharice, but I don't think Georgia made her think that on purpose or it it wasn't anything like that. It wasn't anything intentional. It just happened to be how things happen, you know. So, here comes the real stickler of the whole film. Messner comes inside the penthouse. He sees Deputy Agent Locke, and he's trying to figure out what's going on. He's telling him that Carruthers is dead, and Locke is like, okay, well, you need to go such and such for debrief. And Messner's like, I want to know what the fuck just happened. Like, my partner is dead. Everything just got shot up. I want to know what's going on. And Locke is being very vague. 
okay? Obtuse to a point. Kind of like what you said, Michael, with his, you know, his facial expressions. He's just sitting there kind of like, yeah, I realize you just went through all this, but you're going to do what I need you to do, and you're going to do it now. And I was just like, I was really ready for Messner to punch him in the face. Like, excuse me, you weren't here in the midst of all of this. You don't get to just come in and tell me that I need to sit down and do what I'm supposed to do and get ready for a debrief. No. He literally tells him, I need you to go back right. to Washington. Excuse me? Excuse me? How many people do we have dead here? And then not only that, while they're sitting there talking, Hugo, not Hugo, finds a way to break free out of his cuffs and escape. Not only escape, he takes off his mask. They run right past him because somehow in all of that, he found time to take off the mask and the jacket and discard of it. And it's just, it's a mess. So this is where things get really, really heavy. Not that it wasn't already heavy, but this is when we find out what everything was for. Messner comes to the hospital. Wait a minute. Do I want to go there first or do I want to go to what happens to Darwin's tremor first? Let's do that. So before we get to the last scene, before we get to the hospital and find out what's going on, like I said, Darwin Tremor, he has a knack for getting out of spaces. So he exits the hotel, you know, pretends like he's an FBI agent and he exits the hotel. He comes out and Hollis is on the rooftop waiting for him. He has found Tremor's car and he's like, oh, okay, yeah. So did you hear about the murders early? And Darwin Tremor was like, um, yeah, I think so. And he's like, yeah, uh, shooting, two people died, dumped by the lake, another person, you know, survived, has possible hypothermia, had to have several fingers removed or whatever, whatever. And Darwin is sitting there, uh, yeah, you know, I did that. I'm sorry. You know, he's <laughs> trying to make a joke out of it. He's trying to make a joke out of it. And Hollis is holding him at gunshot. And then he's like, oh, so were you here for Buddy Israel too? Well, I guess we both lost out. Them motherfuckers crazy in there. So Hollis is like, man, just give me your keys and get the fuck out of here. So Darwin gives him the key. Now, here's the thing. Hollis is missing three fingers. He's got his thumb and his pointer finger. Darwin puts the keychain uh-huh. on the finger. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, I'm I'm really sorry about all that. You know, shit gets crazy and you know, fate just up and fucks you up for no reason. But, you know, it's the way of the world. That's the way it's always going to be. He's like, okay, well, see you later. He turns around and walks off. And I'm like, are you really about to just let him go? And Hollis, you know, he kind of walks and he's watching him walk away. And he turns around. He looks at this keychain on his one finger. And he's like, man, fuck this. And he bang, turns bang. around. He shoots him. Yeah, he kills him. That was a hell of a shot, okay. by the way, for not looking. And having he wasn't even looking. Having little to no fingers, like he had, it was a pretty good. Shot. Well, he was shooting with the other hand, so the other hand was fine. It's just his left hand that didn't have the three fingers. And thus ended the adventures of the final Tremor brother. <laughs> you know what? I would watch a movie just about the Tremor brothers just to see how they got to be the way they are. Didn't even have to be a long movie. Just give me a, a thirty minute like. It could be a short. Whatever. Yeah, give me a short. So we get to the hospital scene. Messner goes to the hospital. He finds Deputy Director Locke and basically demands, hey, you need to tell me what the fuck is going on. 
Locke tries to send him back to Washington again, and Messner pulls a gun on him. He's like, no, I'm not leaving until you tell me what the fuck is going on. So he tells him that about the dossier that he received on the way to Lake Tahoe. So the dossier, as we saw earlier, is about Primo Sparazzo. So what we find out is that when Special Agent Heller, when he went undercover with Nicosa Nostra, he went so deep undercover that the FBI questioned whether or not he was still with them or whether he was loyal. So what actually happened was the FBI sent someone to kill Special Agent Heller. And what happened was Special Agent Heller didn't die. He was able to get himself to some kind of doctor and that doctor fixed him up. And what he ended up doing was he ended up taking on the persona of Primo Sparazza. So Primo Sparazza is actually Special Agent Heller. And the whole issue was Buddy Israel is Heller's son. Or Sparazza's son, whatever you want to call it. So apparently Buddy Israel's mother and Sparazza had a brief affair. He came out of it. Sparazza brought him into the family business, showed him the ropes. And I don't know if Buddy knew that Sparazza was his father. They never said. I think he kind of figured it out just because of how he kind of jumped into being a mafioso because before he was just trying to hang with them but then suddenly he's he's actually trying to be one and get like get some henchmen around him and actually tries to do things that mobsters do so maybe Mm -hmm. maybe he did find out he's just trying to be like dear old dad that's kind of what i got from it right so basically sparazza or heller whichever one you want to call him He is dying. He has heart failure and he was going to kill his son so that he could get his heart and continue living. If that's not fucked up family dynamics, I don't know what it is. That's dirty. So Laszlo was actually the one who was hired by Sparazza and he was hired to eliminate Buddy Israel's entourage. So Hugo beanie and ivy he was hired to eliminate them the swede is actually a heart specialist who was supposed to perform the surgery but that's why he said he wanted israel's heart he didn't want it just as some you know some weird mob shit no he literally needs his heart in order to survive and the fbi pulled buddy israel's deal because okay we're gonna let sparazza go through with this because sparazza a.k.a. Heller, is probably the biggest database that we have of Italian mafia crime in the States right now. So we're going to use him to get all the information we need, blah, 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 blah. So Messner is listening to all of this like, so you're going to allow them to do this transplant and all of our people died just so you can save this man. And again, Deputy Director Lop is just like, yep, that's what we're going to do. Didn't he say, he said he wasn't trying to save Parasa, he was trying to save Heller and bring him back. Well, I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, he's doing that because... Because um, he can help them take down Rokosa Nostra 
one cent for all, like the last vista. Yeah. So basically, you just let, well, I, not you just let because you didn't realize that was going to happen. Because, again, none of that had to do with the whole Buddy Israel thing. That was Sharice who did it. But all these people just died for this. So Locke walks out the room. He tells uh, Messner, you know, make your peace with this. And then you get the hell home. And we will talk about this when I get there. Because, of course, you pulled a gun on me in order to get this information. So I'm not going to let this sit. Yeah, I'm going to chalk this up to you grieving. But, um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about this. So Locke walks out the room. Messner sits there. He looks at Sparazza. He looks at Buddy Israel, and then what he did was he closes the door, he locks it, he sits down in between both patients' beds, and he pulls the plug on both of their life support. He puts his gun on the floor, he puts his badge on the floor, and as Locke and the doctor and everyone else come by and they beat on the door telling him to open it, he just sits there and he's smiling like, huh, okay, I guess this is what we're doing. I chose violence today. And it's just like. <laughs> I chose violence today. What? I mean. I, I wasn't sure if yeah. it was the greatest ending to a movie I'd seen in a while or the worst. I, I was confused. It was awesome, but I wasn't sure if I should be happy. It was awesome. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. It was one of those. I loved it because just like he said, he was like, is he going to be the Rosetta Stone for the FBI? Is he going to show you where the bodies have been buried for the last 60 years? And Locke couldn't even say definitively that that's what he was going to do. He was like, so you basically made another deal for something you can't even guarantee. Our people died. He said, you're trying to save someone that the FBI betrayed in the first place. like." Y'all were the ones who, who tried to kill him because y'all thought he went rogue. And now a lot of good people died today so y'all could see him do this. And, um, yeah, uh, Deputy Director Lockwood, you know, the, the little speech he gave him at the end, he was like, you know, uh, we need to put aside our personal feelings for the collective good. I need you to get on a jet to D.C. and blah, blah, blah. Man, I keep saying I'm surprised that Messner didn't punch him. Like, if you're going to lose your job anyway, you might as well get one lick in. But I just, I, I love this movie. I do. I mean, I love it more so for the characters than anything. I mean, the story was good, too, especially that twist at the end. But the, I'm I'm telling you, the characters, the characters, the characters, yeah, I, the characters are what make this movie. I, I wasn't as into the story as you were, but I thought the characters were all absolutely fabulous. I mean, the characters, the characters make the whole make movie. The movie, the Trimmer Brothers. I can't say enough about Chris Pine <laughs> and Kevin Durant. They were just absolutely fantastic. I mean, yeah, they this were is one of the great. best ensembles that has ever been put together for a movie. I mean, it's like you have big stars, you got medium stars, then you got people who really aren't stars at all, but they all like really act well together. Like, it, everything is very well put together, and I'm just, I, I mean, I've always really liked this movie. I think this movie was playing when I got my tattoo. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, I mean, it was, um, it's so funny because I didn't realize, 
like back in 2006, I had no idea who Chris Pine was. So I think I was watching, I want to say it was either Into the Woods or one of the Star Trek movies. And somebody said something, mentioned something. I, I was reading the article, I guess, about the characters that he's played. And somebody said something about a tremor brother. I said, wait, what? I was like, hold on, let me go with the IMDb. And I was like, oh, my God. I had to, I had to immediately rewatch the movie again with that knowledge yeah. just to see if it would. And it made his scene so much funnier to me. It was just, he was great. Uh, Ryan yeah. Reynolds was, everybody was great in this movie. I, I I just, like I said, I love the cast. I love the characters in this movie. So good, so good. And I'm so glad I finally got a chance to talk about it with someone. Yay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even though Lori was less than impressed. That I've never seen this movie before. It's not a bad movie. I mean, the storyline, you know, is good and all that. It's just... It surprised me because how violent it was, but it also surprised me because it had a pretty good twist at the end. I have to give it to that. Uh, you know, just like I said, I'm not sure if this was one of the most amazing endings to the movie or one of the worst, just because no one saw that. I didn't see it coming. Yeah, I don't think anybody saw that they, ending they, coming. They did oh, it very, no. very well. Some some movies you can sort of gauge what's going to happen, but this one just out of the out of left field. Yeah. I love this movie. So I'm glad we got to talk about it. Yay. Hey. Um, real quick, I want to give a shout out to Curtis Armstrong, who played Booger on Revenge of the Nerds and who was on Moonlighting and Risky Business, who said the line And he's Metatron on Supernatural. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, he he said said the said one of the best lines in cinematic history in Risky Business when he said, Sometimes you just got to say, what the fuck? <laughs> One of the best lines in cinematic history. And I'm glad he got, even though he wasn't in it for that long, I love most characters that he plays. Also, shout out to Wayne Newton, who was in this movie about as long as Ben Affleck was. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, that was funny having him in it at, at the beginning. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, this is a great movie. This is a great choice, Han. Great choice. Outstanding. Yay, yay. So I think the next one we're doing is Casey's because she's after me. And I think her choice was um, Kung Fu Hustle. Yeah. I can't wait to get to so, Anne. I, I can't wait to get to Anthony's. The stars. Like, Kung Fu Hustle is cool enough. We got, we got to hurry up and get to get to Anthony's because yeah. I'm. Anthony, what was your, what's, what's yours? Hope it's guys. It's, it has stars. a pretty good awesome. Okay, Super that'll Danny, be on the stars. Richard Thomas is I can't wait. Anthony, I may have to have a a uh, co-host with me on that one because I mentioned the title and that person who's asleep on the couch right now. Forty-five minutes later, he was who's still talking about marriage? yes, related by marriage. Forty-five minutes later, he was still talking to me about it. In fact, he pulled out YouTube clip. Oh, cool. My wife heard that and she was like, "Wait, what? That'll be honest. You never talk about that movie. You talk about that Matrix and stuff." Well, because I think I'm the only person sort of like alive who likes the movie. So, yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. I'm not going to talk to you about it because, you know, and. See, I've never seen it. So that that would be an adventure for me. Once. Mark was like, oh, no, and this, and this and that and this and that. And then he called his brother to, to check with a point on reference. I mean, I'm looking at 
who, who is this person? Well, Hanako, after you see that movie, you got to watch The Last Starfighter because that's like a that's that's yeah. a double feature in the mix. That's a double feature. But the cast of Battle Beyond the Stars is like the equivalent of the cast in the movie, you know, Smoking Aces. It was like all these people, and like, they're in this movie? Like, how did this happen? Okay. <laughs> they're all yeah. together in the same movie. Uh, George Papard, Robert Vaughn is in this movie. Okay. John Saxon. Yep. Robert Vaughn, yeah. John Saxon. <laughs> Sybil Danny. Yep. Sybil Danny. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Earl Bowen. You'll know who he is when you see him. Okay. So. If you, I mean, if you know oh, those, on on. The, the actors of their time, yeah. Julia Duffy. Dang. Yeah, I, I, I'm going back and forth on what I want to do for my, and I'm leaning toward a book. You going to make us read? I have to. <laughs> Yes. No. I'm no. sending you guys the audio book. If I decide on the book, I'm sending you all <laughs> a copy of the audio book. Wait, Kathy Griffin was in it? She was in everything in the 70s. Holy shit. All right. So, I don't know. so we I got Kung Fu Hustle yeah. coming up for Casey's and then Battle Beyond the Stars for Anthony's. And then we'll start thinking about our ideas for our birthday episodes for next year. But for now... That is it for our show. You can find us online at www.fandomhybrid.com. We are on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Fandom Hybrid. You can listen to the Fandom Hybrid podcast on all major podcast streaming platforms. Thanks for listening. We hope you join the conversation next time.
Yeah, there there were gunshots right after that. And and thus ended the adventures of the final Tremor brother. <laughs> he could be a short, just a little short. Yeah.
Because he can help them take down Rikosa Nostra once and for all. Like the last vistas of it. I chose violence today. Yeah, I as into the story as I oh I I wasn't as into the story as you were, but I thought the characters were 
all absolutely fabulous. I mean, the characters made the movie and the Trimmer Brothers. I can't say enough about Chris Pine and Kevin Durant. They were just absolutely fantastic. I mean, they were they were great.
Battle Beyond the Stars. Yeah. George Fapar, a whole bunch of guys. It's, it has a pretty good ensemble. Civil Danning, I think, is in it. it. has a really good cast. Yeah, I mean, I know we're gonna do Casey's right next, but you know, my my wife heard heard that and she was like, "Wait, what? That'll be honest. You never talk about that movie. You talk about the Matrix and so Well, because I think I'm the only person sort of like alive who likes the movie. So, yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. I'm not gonna talk to you about it because, you know, and. <laughs> That that the cast of that movie. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. But but the cast of Battle Beyond the Stars is like the equivalent of the cast in the movie. And I was looking Aces. It was like all these like they're in this movie. Like how did this happen? <laughs> they're all together in the same movie. John Saxon, yeah. <laughs> Sybil Danning. <laughs> yeah, this goes on and on. If you I mean if you know the the, the actors of their time, yeah. <laughs> 